The square formerly known as Calhoun Square is no stranger to big crowds. After all, it's the first of Savannah Squares along the St. Patrick's Day Parade route. But the green space will be packed for a different reason on Wednesday, December the 21st. It is the site of a theatrical production starring Oscar-nominated actor Jesse Eisenberg. The organizer of the production, Theater of War's Brian Dorries, joins today's Commute podcast to talk about why he's staging Antigone, a Greek tragedy in Savannah, in the square. Hello, Savannah, from all of us here at savannahnow.com. This is the Commute Podcast, presented by National Office Systems. I am your host, Adam Van Bremer, opinion columnist and a deputy editor at Savannah Morning News. Today's episode unpacks the staging of a rather unique Christmas week theatrical production in Savannah, the Greek tragedy Antigone, to be formed in what was until recently known as Calhoun Square next Wednesday, December the 21st. The production is related to the efforts to rename the square, and the production's organizer is here to help us understand what we can expect. But first, a word about our favorite office design firm and this podcast presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Producer Zach has been giving me a hard time lately about my talking about our pending office move. Let's just say I've been talking about it for a while, and it really hasn't happened yet. But it will, and when it does, I'll be calling Scott Center and his team at National Office Systems. They've been helping Savannah businesses with their office needs since the 1980s. National Office Systems offers more than 200 product lines, including a new collaboration from two of the office furniture industry's leaders, Herman Miller and Knoll, also known as Miller Knoll. If your office space needs a refresh, National Office Systems can help. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's the interview with Theater of War Productions' Brian Dorries. Pleased to be joined on today's Commute Podcast by Brian Dorries, who is with Theater of War Productions. He's co-founder of the production company that founded in 2009. And Theater of War was, I, I think nobody in Savannah or a few people in Savannah were familiar with them prior to this week when they announced that they were going to come to town and set up shop in, in what was formerly known as Calhoun Square in downtown Savannah on December the 21st and do a, a dramatic reading, a theatrical production. I'm going to let Brian kind of fill in the blanks on exactly what we expect here in a minute of a, a Greek tra- tragedy known as Antigone. And what Theater of War does is they come in and they do these these productions and then they combine that with a with a community discussion or a town hall or a forum, however you want to describe it, about uh, uh, social issues that are of import in the community. And of course, everybody here knows that the renaming of Calhoun Square has been an ongoing topic here. City Council recently went ahead and stripped John Calhoun's name off of the square. They have yet to put a new name on the square. But what Brian and his group want to do is, is help to foster some discussion uh, around some of the, I'm going to use the word angst, that is present around the square. And they think that this uh, production could do so. They've done a lot of these productions over the last 13 or 14 years. And Brian, with that with that setup, I'm going to kind of get out of the way. Uh, what what does Theater of War do and, and how has it been successful in, in helping deal with these situations over the years? Yeah, well, thank you so much, Adam, for having me on. Um, 
Theater of War Productions has been around since 2009 as a company. And actually, the last time we were in the Savannah area was when we brought our military project, Theater of War, to uh, Fort Lewis. And um, Fort Lewis? Fort Lewis. Fort Stewart. Fort Stewart, excuse me. Yep. Fort Stewart. Right. Uh, Fort Lewis, we've also been to. Fort Stewart. <laughs> uh, and uh, we um, and that was a, a project that really was the sort of namesake of Theater of War Productions. Uh, a project that we got our start with where we performed ancient Greek war plays for military audiences uh, back in 2008, 2009, when we had troops returning to, from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan with these invisible wounds. And uh, they sounded like some of the things that characters in ancient Greek epics and tragedies were struggling with thousands of years ago. So we got this idea, let's put performances or readings of these ancient war plays in front of warriors and their families and see what happens, see if we can create healing and discussion. And that's really how we got started as a company. Um, our first three years were just touring mostly military bases all over the country and the world. And it turned out we could perform an ancient war play by Sophocles about a character like Ajax, who was a great warrior who lost his best friend Achilles in battle during a Trojan war. And then uh, after being betrayed by his commanding officers ultimately takes his own life in the play we could perform that for an audience of marines and uh and we could get marines to open up and talk about their experiences um uh going to war returning from war um and at the time it was seen as a career-ending gesture to raise your hand and say i'm struggling with an invisible wound sure. and um congress had appropriated a lot of money to try to get mental health resources into the military but no one was really availing themselves of those resources. So our whole project and initiative was based on that stumbling upon that, the fact that actually plays could be useful, that we could perform ancient literature for a contemporary audience of warriors and their families. And the military audience would translate the play for us because they'd lived the experience of the play. And so we, I mean, I quit my day job and became a defense contractor and we started the company and all of a sudden we were doing hundreds of performances all over the world uh, and, uh, you know, of my translations of these ancient Greek plays. And that led to lots of other projects. And one we're coming to Savannah again with is um, a project that originated in Ferguson, Missouri in 2016. There, we also had a very sort of tense situation around the death of Michael Brown. Sure. And we've been doing a lot of work around mental health, around conflict resolution, around um, all kinds of uh, mediation of violence. And we thought we could come in and hopefully collaborate at the community level and create a chorus that couldn't preach to itself. Um, and so that's what we did. We came into Ferguson and we found some partners, some of whom will be coming to Savannah. And we said, help us build a choir that will sing the lines of this ancient play, Antigone, um, that's so diverse in its composition that it can't preach to itself that, 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 that people won't necessarily agree on anything other than to sing together. And so we've got folks from the faith community and we got people from Michael Brown's teachers and friends. We, from his high school where we premiered the play, uh, we had uh, black lives matter activists who were in the front lines and we had law enforcement who responded to the uprising in Ferguson. And we brought them all together and we took this, Greek play Antigone and it's about a young woman who puts everything on the line to bury her brother when a new king decides that her brother isn't worry, worthy of burial at the end of a civil war and um, we put it up in front of the community uh, in Ferguson and the power of the 
not just the play and of the performance is that it creates a context where people can hear each other and where, where people can share their interpretations of this ancient story and where they can hold contradictory interpretations in the same space without feeling, I don't know, accused or affronted by each other's positions. Um, Greek tragedy was born alongside democracy in the Western world. It was a form that was born out of the experiment of democracy in ancient Greece. And alongside that experiment was this form of storytelling. And I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, that this highly militarized democracy from 2,500 years ago developed a form of storytelling that created a space and a context where people could acknowledge, communally acknowledge their trauma, their loss, um, their what connects them at a deep human level, even if they'd lost touch with it because of political um, divisions within the community, that this was about you know, how does a democracy stay healthy when there are so many forces that can cause it to fracture and fall apart? And the storytelling, like Greek tragedy, plays an integral role in the health of the community of the of the. So that was the idea. We did it for the military. We did it in prisons. We did it. Um, we've done work around addiction. We've done work around um, any number of subjects. We had uh, thirty projects that all address pressing issues of public health and social justice. And I am a huge long-time uh, obsessed lover of Savannah, Georgia. I, I, I first visited when I was uh, probably 19 years old. I went to Charleston on a trip and um, uh, to see a friend and had a couple extra days. And I, I have to say, I didn't really enjoy Charleston that much. And I had heard about Savannah. So I had that same experience that so many people had. Of just, uh, you know, I, I came from Southeastern Virginia and the Hampton Roads area. Mm -hmm. Newport, Newport News, Virginia. So we ca I came down to Savannah for a day and just was just floored. I know that you could barely scratch the surface of Savannah in a day, but what I saw was just a bundle of contradictions, like sure. all this eccentricity, all of these different types of people, especially the Irish American community that I'm part of, living alongside each other and negotiating what that means in this kind of beautiful space with all this history. And I've always wanted to do a project in Savannah. So when the opportunity arose to come down this last summer and meet with some folks on the ground in Savannah, we were introduced to by the On Being Project, which is an NPR program that now has a sort of national uh, nonprofit that creates the conditions for conversations very much like the ones we're trying to inspire. Um, on Being invited us down and introduced us to Pat Gunn and um, Sister Roz and some of the other folks at the Center for Jubilee Reconciliation and Healing who were working on the uh, campaign to rename the square, uh, formerly known as Calhoun. Uh, and I met in that group that I was introduced to such a, again, like just incredibly diverse group of people. There were young people and millennials. There were people in their 90s. There were Jewish people. There were Christians. There were black people and white people. And um, and there was a humility in the room and a real desire to um, have dialogue. So I said, well, I think maybe we could be of some service. That was the hope. And I said, I think maybe we should reframe this project, uh, Antigone and Ferguson, which for a long time has been about trying to create a context where the relationship between communities and policing can be discussed. Sure and reframe it around something a little more higher in elevation. Um, Antigone has a line in the play when she's talking about her brother, Polynices, whose body has been left in the streets of Thebes without burial. She says to the king, uh, Creon, the dead all have rights. 
And Creon says to Antigone, well, what about justice? And Antigone says back to Creon, who knows what is just in the world below? And then Creon says, an enemy is never a friend, even in death. Hmm. And Antigone says, I was not born to hate, but to bring people together through acts of love. And then he says, well, love in the world below. And he sort of sentences her to death. And that's the drama that's playing out in the play, the argument that's being had. I actually believe that everyone in America, if they dug within themselves, would probably agree with the statement that the dead all have rights. And I doubt we would all agree that an enemy is never a friend, even in death. I, I, I just, you know, I've met too many people in the military who respect their enemies too much to say an enemy is never a friend. Um, you know, Sophocles has another play we perform where uh, Odysseus has a line where he says, I don't see friends and enemies as mutually exclusive. He's been through so much war, he can't anymore. Um, so can we, so the idea was, can we come and perform this play, bring some of the folks that did it in Ferguson and from New York City, because we ran it for 15 weeks off Broadway here in New York City. Okay. And, and, and could we mix that up with some choirs and folks in Savannah and some actors on the ground in Savannah? And could we do it in the unnamed square? At the time that we got this idea, it was still called Calhoun. We didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, uh, of course, this fall, Calhoun's name was stripped from the square. So now it's unnamed, which is kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of neutral blank slate. And as I'm sure you know, the square sits around or adjacent to an unmarked African burial ground for formerly right. enslaved Africans. You know, mm-hmm. Savannah is so rich in history, but I don't necessarily, when you're walking past the square, hear the tour bus going by saying, this is where the enslaved Africans were buried. It, you right. know, it, it, and so there's that. And then, of course, Sister Pat pointed out that the 21st of December is what she considers, and many of her contemporaries, Savannah's Jubilee, which I know means different things to different people, it was the day that General Sherman arrived, and I know for many, that was a day of mourning. It was also a day of celebration. It was a day where the city was saved in terms of uh, the not burned to the ground. Wasn't it wasn't burned, right? It was a day that the 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 black uh, and African population that was enslaved was emancipated by the Emancipation Proclamation. So it's all these things, different things to different people. It's also the solstice. It's also right before the holiday. So it feels very charged, very important. And the weather gods seem to be in our favor as we're coming to town, having invested quite a bit in trying to make this happen. <laughs> right. Uh, and and the invitation is simply this. You know, we want people to come out either in person. We have a very limited amount of seating because of the restrictions on the square. And we don't want to disturb, you know, the neighborhood any more than our footprint already probably will. So we have uh, the opportunity for people to also watch on Zoom. At the beginning of the pandemic, we pivoted to Zoom. And our first event, we had 15,000 people from 42 countries attend. And our discussions that used to be sort of relegated to you know, Fort Stewart are now global. You know, We have had events recently where we had 100 countries all tuning in at the same time. Right. So, so, the, so we're in a very hyper-local conversation in Savannah framed by the unnamed square framed by the Jubilee framed by the holidays framed by the people who show up to have this experience and by the choirs and the people who are participating, but it'll also be global. Like it'll be a national conversation as well as global where people from all over the country will also be thinking about collectively with us, do the dead all have rights and how do we, how do we honor the dead and how do we, what's the appropriate way to heal historical wounds? 
you know, we may not have committed those wounds, but those wounds still exist. So how do we, how do we heal them over time? What, how do we come together as communities and see the fundamental humanity in each other? Um, and I have a feeling that Savannah has a lot to teach the rest of the world. Not that Savannah is perfect, but that in its imperfection, its eccentricity and its diversity, there's a kind of wisdom that will come forth in the discussion that yeah. I'm excited to see play out. So the performance happens first. That's about 70 minutes of the experience, mm-hmm. but the bulk of the experience, as soon as the um, choirs and the actors are done with their performance, um, they sit down and five members of the Savannah community are going to come up and there are community panelists, almost like the third chorus of the play. They're going to come up and they're going to sit down and they're going to, um, respond to what they heard and saw in it that that touched them across time that's that that resonated with them these are not going to be people on book tour or phds these are people with skin in the game something at stake and that kicks off and models the larger conversation we're going to have and i'll go out into the audience um, and ask questions uh about the play the spirit of which we've asked other audiences all over we've done over 150 of these antigone events and, you know, I think the context of where we're doing it, that incredibly beautiful square with all of that history, all of what's happened even in the last couple of years, is the perfect framework for having a larger conversation about something that's very hard to talk about without people getting upset and sort of retrenching to their positions. Greek tragedies, from my perspective, are great for this because especially plays by Sophocles, like we're performing, because they're about people who all believe that they're right. Everyone in the play believes that they're right. Of course. (laughs) And yet someone is going to die. And I don't think we can sort of minimize the stakes of the conversations we're trying to have now around these subjects. Um, They are life and of life and death and they do affect generations to come. And they, um, and so the play kind of honors rather than, belittling or marginalizing or you know minimizing just honors the stakes of what we're talking about also by committing to the emotions the extreme emotions and the play it's almost like the actors move the walls of the room back i mean it's an open square but you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah. they essentially they essentially say we the actors are like we've gone here so if you want to meet us halfway this is a space that can hold charged emotions but we don't have to leave. We can we can be in this space together. We can sort of handle it. It doesn't have to like result in ad hominem attacks. Um, right. And lastly, I think um, Greek tragedies are stories about people who learn too late, and usually it's milliseconds too late. In the case of Antigone, uh, you know, I won't spoil the plot, but the, 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 the king <laughs> learns too late and. It's not like it's not just that he loses everything, but the city he represents collapses and generations to come are affected and he learns milliseconds too late. And in those milliseconds, everything could have been different. And I feel like when we're in high school, we're taught to think about Greek tragedy as if it's like this expression of fatalism, you know, um, about, you you know, things beyond our control that are happening to us. And that may be true. What happens on stage is sometimes largely about that, but it's effect on audiences. Cause we've done thousands of these events with Greek tragedies all over the planet and all kinds of communities, conservative, liberal, um, you know, other countries. The effect is that I think it brings us all to a consciousness of thinking about 
um, the fleeting possibility of making change before it's too late. And sometimes that change is stepping back from the roles we're all playing and from our sureness that we're all right yeah, uh, and acknowledging a certain fallibility. Um, and so well, that's a good thing idea. you wait until after the election. Then We'll be right back. We'll get back to the interview with Brian Dorries here in a moment. In the meantime, allow me to encourage all of our listeners to sign up for the Savannah Town Square Opinion Newsletter. It publishes every Tuesday and features everything you know to dominate that water cooler conversation at work. And you don't have to subscribe to the Savannah Morning News or savannahnow.com to get the newsletter, although I'd be more than happy to have you. There are no excuses, basically, is what I'm getting at here. You don't have to pay anything. You just sign up for the newsletter. You get it. You're in the know. Anyway, the newsletter, again, free. Visit savannahnow.com slash newsletters and sign up. Now, back to the interview. Exactly. I know. I know it's been very charged in, in Georgia. I know there's a naivete of coming in as an outsider, but sometimes being outsider is also helpful. Fresh um, perspective. Can, yeah. yeah, we get to ask dumb questions. We get to. Um, and also, like as much as I love Savannah and I love the people I've met in Savannah, we don't need to be of the tribe, you know, uh, of Savannah. We, we we have our own places that we come from. So, you know, it's not applause we're after. Uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't end in a group hug necessarily, yeah. but, but what can occur is that something, something opens that wasn't open before. Right. Um, and I do think that was the purpose of tragedy. I think Greek tragedy is a technology like zoom or mm-hmm. like the radio or the podcast that you're, you know, people listen to you. It's a, it's a technology like an external hard drive that when you plug it into the right audience and you don't need to have an education. To have it work. In fact, I think education might be an impediment to it working because we've been doing it in homeless shelters and on street corners for almost 15 years. And, you know, I think when people come with presumptions about what it is, I think um, they get in the way. And what it is, is um, an acknowledgement of the truth of what it means to be human and what hasn't changed for 2,500 years right. About, right. about our experience in spite of all the technological advances we've made and there's some comfort in that so i I end every performance not to steal my own fire by a benediction which is you know if you've related to anything that's been said in this performance and this discussion you're not alone in this room you're not alone across the country and the world because we do this all the time but most critically you are not alone across time and you know i sound like an evangelist but i i am an evangelist for these ancient stories because i think there's a public health message in that there's a social justice message the one thing we've seen over and over again and when people have experienced loss or conflict or trauma is they, they feel alone, they feel isolated, they feel mm-hmm. complete, they can feel betrayed. And um, I think to know that other people also have felt that way, not just in the community, but over millennia, I see it bringing people a sense of comfort. I saw it with the military first. Um, I've seen it with police. I've seen it with activists. I've seen it. I've seen it with the homeless population, those experiencing homelessness. I've seen it with doctors, nurses. We work a lot with this year. We're doing a project this year with folks in the war in Ukraine, where we had Ukrainians in the chorus of our performances. I, there's a connection that's that's possible across time that provides a little, just a little bit of relief, and then takes a little bit of the steam out of the valves. Um, anyway, obviously, I. I I am an evangelist and I could talk for hours. And very passionate about take, it. Take up sure. your, uh, the other thing to say <laughs> about this experience is that it's, um, it's, uh, 
it's a um you know in the ancient world there was no there was no way in ancient greece to extract storytelling from democracy from civic participation from military service you know, the audience was all had all 100% military service from religion like the, the 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 and i think that's something we lose touch with like when you think of greek tragedy you think about people rolling around on the ground with like togas and sheets on and saying ridiculous things but but there is actually a, a spiritual quality to what was being done in the ancient world that we've lost touch with that we have in other ways when we went to Ferguson and we were saying, well, what was the um, natural resource of this community? It turned out gospel music was like one of mm -hmm. the things that like, we couldn't do it better in New York. Like St. Louis had an incredible gospel. I know Savannah does too. What happened when we brought the gospel music and the choral music into the play is all of a sudden it was imbued with this spiritual quality that made it inextricable from the experience so that people who were singing in the performance were having efficacious religious experiences while doing it. And of course that had that effect on the audience and connections were made and openings then started to occur that never would have happened before. So we have Jewish members of the audience dancing in the aisles to the gospel music up and down the, and people from different types of churches coming together and atheists stepping up to the mic and speaking, but deeply moved by what they experienced. I think there's, this is an element of Greek tragedy that by way of collaborating with people in a church tradition who bring their music and faith to the performance that we're kind of reclaiming in this experience. So when people come, you know, this is unlike a play that you would go to see at the Savannah Theater or, or wherever um, uh, in that we the audience is the main character. Uh, the audience is everything. Um, but and everything that the actors and singers do is in service of a conversation that wouldn't have happened had they not performed. And mm -hmm. that is the act of service. And when they are done, they sit down and then people from the audience start to emerge and they relate their feelings about what they heard and their interpretations. And I'll tell you, every time that happens, everywhere we go, the people who stand up and speak exceed the beauty of the play in what they say. Mm -hmm. Um and that's 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 what we're after in the square in Savannah. <laughs> right. right. So, as as word has spread about this, the first thing I've been asked is what we've been talking about is what is yeah. this about. The second thing I've been asked is Jesse Eisenberg. How are they getting <laughs> how are they getting these how are they getting yeah. these big name Hollywood actors, actresses to come and do these free shows in these parks? What what's so, the connection? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned free because all our work is free. Uh mm -hmm. and free for us is neutral. Um, in our old days before the pandemic, we spent a lot of money uh, with transportation and meals for audiences that had something at stake, making sure that we were curating audiences that were coming together for a reason. Um, Jesse was one of the first actors to say yes back in 2007 when this was just a hobby of mine where I had a day job uh, at Scholastic, the publisher, and I was in my like free time doing readings of Greek plays in hospitals. Mm -hmm. And Jesse was one of the first actors to say, I'll come do a reading in a hospital. Wow. Um, I got his number from a friend and cold called him. And mm -hmm. then David Stertheron was one of the other actors mm -hmm. who said yes. And, and then the list started to accrue. Uh, Paul Giamatti, Francis McDormand, Jeffrey Wright, John Turturro, now Willem Dafoe, James Earl Jones, you know, the list goes on. Martin Sheen, the list goes on and on and on of these actors who said yes, and then told their friends about it. Yeah. 
And the reason they keep coming back, and we have over 250 actors who are part of the company now, um, is that it's very rare in their profession to feel like they're doing anything of service with with their craft. They do oh, stuff incredible. with the, celeb- the celebrity all the time. But to know that how you say a line and how you deliver it and the emotion you invest actually reciprocally can have an effect on a life in the audience um, is nourishing for them in a way that I don't think most Hollywood experiences are. And um, so we have a really great group and Jesse almost always says, yes. I mean, he's, he's doing a, ser- a series on Netflix right now and he has his a film coming out that he directed. And when I asked him, he bent his plans and is bringing his wife and son and they're coming down to Savannah because he always makes space and time for this. Uh, I think because he, he gets something from it that maybe it doesn't come from some of his other work. Now he's very creative, obviously, and doing all kinds of things. Um, We have some other terrific actors coming to Savannah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kara, Kara Young, who's a a wonderful uh, actor who's made a huge name for herself in the last couple of years on Broadway um, was nominated for a Tony award for uh, her performance in Clyde's uh, last year, uh, Lynn Nottage play. Um, really excited. This is our first time working with her, and I know she's going to be an amazing Antigone. Another actor named Otto Blankson Wood, who mm-hmm. um, was uh, in Slave Play on Broadway, but also uh, When They See Us, the series, um, and uh, lots of other uh, Black Klansmen, uh, all kinds oh, yeah. of other. Uh, yeah. And and uh, and then some other terrific actors, including Krista Tippett, the host of On Being. I gave her a role. Uh, I don't think she acts very often, but this is uh, what she's doing. And then we have some local actors, Roz. Uh, Rouse is going to be playing a role and um, the Reverend Dr. Uh, Leonard Small of Litway Baptist. He's going to play Tiresias, the blind prophet, uh, which he said is a good casting for him. And and, uh, and so we have a mixture of professionals and amateurs. And then in the choir that we're bringing, we have some of Michael Brown's teachers from Ferguson. We have four police officers from Ferguson and St. Louis who are in the choir. And we've got local singers from Savannah, from multiple churches, all coming together to sort of make this together in the next five days. And then, and it doesn't really end as a process until we've heard the audience speak. So uh, right. those who come, come out, whether in person or on Zoom, uh, will be able to participate by raising their hand, either in the audience or on Zoom. And we'll be going back and forth between the live audience in the square and, and the global audience on Zoom yeah. as we facilitate discussion. We've seen plays and productions in, in Forsyth Park. We've yes. not seen one in Calhoun or formerly known as Calhoun. It's, it's a small space. I used to live right down the street. It's, it's not a big space. How do you, how do you set it up and how many, how many people do you think you can accommodate in person right there? Um, so uh, we have been given the, uh, the, the city's been very um, accommodating uh, and helpful. And um, we, you know, we came with a plan and the permitting office has worked through it with us. And I think we're there. Um, typically I know the square is not having a lot of large events or people performing in it. Um, mm. the, the city has given us a capacity of 250 audience members yeah. and okay. the choir will, and the cast, we have about 40. So that, you know, under 300 in the, in the park for the time that we're performing, mm. um, that's a limit that we wouldn't have in foresight, but, mm. but yeah, it's the, not as impactful. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be, it's only 0.8 miles away, but, but, um, and there's plenty to talk about in that park too, but I feel like the square is the stage. 
Right. Um, and it's a local stage. It's a global stage um, yeah. via Zoom. Um, so we have a room still for in-person registration. And um, I signed up today. Oh, great. I, I want to make sure you have the right link because it's Antigone in Savannah Square dot eventbrite.com and um your listeners are welcome to can you sign up when we hit our cap we'll start pushing people to zoom to the right. virtual audience and you right. have to um sign up to get a seat um yeah. and uh, that's how we'll hopefully control the crowd although right now we don't have huge numbers hopefully in the days ahead thanks to your efforts and others we'll get the word out in savannah and get a nice cross-section of people like sometimes people say well i came to see jesse eisenberg but i was deeply moved by the conversation or sure. some people say well i was part of the effort to rename the square but um i never expected to see it from this perspective when someone stood up in the audience who related to one of the characters in this way and um, that's the magic of the gathering and the, and the formula. And, right. And, but it will definitely be a different kind of Christmas season uh, production. <laughs> Greek, tra Greek tragedy for a, uh, I mean, <laughs> I, it's, it's kind of a passion story. Um, some have yeah. often, some have argued, uh, Hegel argued the philosopher that Antigone is a proto-Christian story. It's a story of self-sacrifice uh, for love. And one of the songs that Phil Woodmore, our composer and conductor from St. Louis, they wrote, um, you know, ends with this refrain, uh, you know, please, please, I beg of you, let Antigone live for what she did, uh, she did out of love. Yeah. And I think that's one of the inroads for the Christian community to find their way into this play. We're not asking, we're not proselytizing. Right. No, no one, no one worship, just to be clear, full disclaimer, there's no one really, it's a very small number of people who worship Olympian gods yeah. uh, from ancient Greece. But in these ancient stories, uh, there are resonances of of uh, biblical stories and, uh, and certainly the story of Christ. And I think is there is a kind of uh, uh, something powerful and uh, poignant about doing Antigone around around Christmas. And um, sure. I know most people don't think of it that way. Obviously, um, uh, you know, in terms of the spirit of Christmas. But here's the thing: you know, yes, ancient Greek tragedy is about people losing everything in the matter of seconds and less. Yes. It's about people learning too late. And yes, it involves all kinds of terrible things happening on stage, but the impact that has on the audience, the space that it opens, the kind of sharing that occurs is I would argue as joyous as any Christmas caroling or any there it's, it's the same spirit of, using music and using stories to connect as human beings across time. And uh, so we're hoping that people might, you know, just take a break from the uh, Christmas holidays. I know there's a lot and also Hanukkah the same week. Yeah. yeah, um, Hanukkah same and, week, just, yeah. and just uh, head over to Calhoun square or come or formerly Calhoun square or come on zoom and, and take a peek at this collective collaborative effort that we're making, um, with folks in Savannah to create this project together. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're, we're looking forward to it. Uh, you probably jinxed yourself with your weather uh, comment earlier, <laughs> but remember in Savannah, if you don't like the weather, you wait 10 minutes and it'll change. So That's what I'm told. Also, we're collaborating with uh, Gullah Geechee uh, storytellers, and they said, yeah. the Gullah Geechee said that it never rains on the Gullah Geechee. I'll take them at their word. Uh, Plan my uh, schedule around the Gullah Geechee schedule. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we're, we're in good hands, um, <laughs> but uh, it's worth the risk as far as I'm concerned. We do have a, a rain location, but I don't think it's that would jinx us. Let's talk about yeah. that. So let's That's all plan to either be on the square or be in Zoom. And um, you know, we're um 
we're hoping this is the beginning of, of many potential engagements and collaborations in Savannah, not a one and done. Um, but great. we're just, uh, we're really uh, delighted and touched by how it's been embraced by the folks who've um, opened their doors to us. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. We'll look forward to uh, seeing you in person here in a couple of days and uh, all the best. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. Thanks for your help. That's all for this edition of the Commute Podcast. Thanks one last time to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Before I sign off, remember that we publish new Commute episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Whatever your interests, you will find interviews of interest in our archives. Search The Commute with that Savannah Opinion on your favorite podcast app. Have a good day. (music) 